follow along. We are in chapter 14 of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And it's one of the most familiar stories in the Scripture. Uh, it's one that uh, if you went to Sunday school as a kid, uh, you heard uh, quite often. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And uh, so let's just go ahead and read it, and then we'll get into it a little bit. So this is Matthew 14, starting at verse 13. It says, when, uh, when Jesus heard what had happened, and, and what it's referring there to is uh, the death of John the Baptist. If you remember, uh, John the Baptist had been executed by Herod. And, uh, and John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus, as well as, I believe, a friend of Jesus. So when he had heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So Jesus wanted to have some alone time. But his fame was also on the rise, and this was difficult for him to do. It says, Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that we can go to the village so they can go to the villages and buy the, buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He then gave them to his disciples. The disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So again, this is one of the most well-known stories in the Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's almost exactly the same in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's, there's a little bit of a variation uh, in, in the, one of the Gospels where we hear that this was the lunch of a boy, uh, that, that he had come to hear Jesus, and this was the lunch that he had, five loaves of bread and two fish, which kind of endears us to the story even more, knowing that it was a child that gave Jesus uh, the food that eventually feeds all the 5,000. But did you know that there's a story very similar to this in the Old Testament? That in the Old Testament, there's a story that's very similar to this. And I wouldn't be surprised if you don't really know where that story is because it's not one that's talked about very often because it involves a prophet who's not talked about very often. And that prophet's name was Elisha. And Elisha was the disciple of the better-known prophet Elijah. And you, we don't really know too much about, we don't hear too much about Elisha, even though he's written about quite a bit in the Old Testament. The most famous story probably associated with Elisha is that there's a story that 40-some, that 40 42 uh, young men had kind of gathered around him and were threatening him. They were saying, go up, Baldy, go up. And what they were doing is they were making fun of him that his predecessor, Elijah, had gone up in the fiery chariot and they were telling him, you should go up too, because believe it or not, Elijah and Elisha weren't always popular with, with the people, particularly people that were connected to royalty. And so some bears came out and mauled these kids, uh, young men probably. Uh, a lot of English translations have said that they were children, but that's not what it says in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it just says they were young men. So it was probably a mob of, 
of young men who are pushing them around and, and they're calling them baldy and telling them to go up. And being a fellow baldy, I kind of sympathize with Elisha a little bit here, to say. But uh, he's the successor to the much more famous and widely known prophet Elijah. And I find this interesting. This is, a, this is a piece of iconography from the Orthodox Church. And they really emphasize his, his bald dome up there, don't they? It's like it's twice the size of normal. And uh, when we were in seminary, when Cindy and I were in seminary, we had a friend of ours that named their firstborn son Elisha. And it was interesting to see that that she had to, the mother often had to explain who Elisha was. Even, even to fellow seminarians, she'd say, you know, his name is Elisha. And they'd, everyone, almost everyone would go, Elijah. And she'd say, no, Elisha. Yes, he's in the Bible. And then it would go back and forth. Well, who is he? Is he the son of Elijah? And says, no. He asked for a double portion of the spirit that Elijah had. And he, there's a lot of famous th things that involve Elisha. But uh, I've kind of felt sorry for her because every uh, first month or so after the child was born, she had to kind of give a little Bible study to everyone she talked about as to who was Elisha, who is this guy. So if you want to find out a little bit more about him, you can read in the, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4 because there's a series of stories there which all involve Elisha. And, there, and each one of the stories, there's four stories in that chapter, they all deal with God's abundance in the, in the circumstances of need that, are, that the people have. For example, chapter 4 begins with a woman whose husband dies, and Elisha hears that her sons are going to be sold into slavery in order to cover her husband's debts. And Elisha comes, and he tells her to gather all the jars from all her neighbors and that she is to pour the little remaining amount of oil in her jar into all these jars. And the miracle was that she filled up all the jars. She was able to sell that that she didn't need, and she had plenty for herself. So again, we have God's abundance in a time of crisis or of loss. The next story talks about a woman who was kind to Elisha. She convinced her husband to build on an extra room to their house when he came to visit. And because of her kindness, she's blessed with a child, but then the child dies. And Elisha comes, and through a lot of effort, and the scripture talks about he spent a lot of time with the child, the child comes back to life. Then there's a story where the people have nothing to eat. There's a famine, and Elisha sets up a feeding, kind of a soup kitchen. But the only, the only plant that's around that people haven't eaten is a poisonous plant. And so Elisha has them make a stew with this poisonous plant and miraculously becomes edible and the people all eat and are satisfied. Again, God's abundance during times of loss. And then chapter 4 ends with this story. It says this, A man came from Baal Salisha, bringing the man of God, being Elisha, 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. So there's some similarities which are pretty obvious here between the feeding of the 5,000 and Elisha feeding these 100 people. And again, all these stories in chapter two, I mean chapter 4 of 2 Kings are all about God's provision in times of need. 
God's provision in those desperate times when it looks like there's just not going to be enough. And the situations in all the stories are, are desperate, but what we learn is when God provides a way out, He provides it in abundance. He doesn't just provide it with a little bit, but He provides it with abundance. The children are set free from slavery by an abundance of oil. A child dies, but an abundance of effort by the prophet, he rises again. In a time of famine, the, the people eat this, this stew made of these plants that are normally poisonous, and they're, they're satisfied. And when a hundred people need to be fed with 20 barley loaves, they are fed, and there's leftover. There's abundance in God. So I believe when Jesus saw these crowds gathered before him, it was made clear that there was not enough food to go around, he saw this chance to show the people that he was more than Elisha. Because don't forget, Elisha had the double portion of the spirit of Elijah. And Elijah was a big deal in, in Judaism. He still is. During the Passover, there's usually a place that's set in case Elijah comes and wants to be part of the Passover meal. And if you remember, John the Baptist was also the, 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 pre, the, the person that fulfilled that role of Elijah as the person preparing people for the Messiah. So when Jesus sees these 5,000, even though we may not be that familiar with Elisha, Jesus was, and the people were. And instead of feeding 100 people with 20 loaves, Jesus is going to feed 5,000 men. That's not including the women and the children, so we could probably safely assume there are probably close to 10,000 people there. He's going to feed them with five loaves and two fish. And, you know, this would be a pretty satisfying place to, to end here and talk about the fact that God's provision uh, is always abundant when it comes in places of need. He always is there to, 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 fill, to fulfill those places where we are finding the cracks in our life if we'll trust him. But there's a subtle thing in the feeding of the 5,000, which I think we also should look at today. And it's not a coincidence. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke which are called the Synoptic Gospels. They all talk about this incident, and there's a very specific order given in the little ceremony that Jesus does during the feeding of the 5,000. They all very specifically say this, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. This is a very specific order of things that we find in all the Gospels. And what's interesting about this is this is also the same specific order that Jesus performs when he does the Last Supper. In Matthew 26, 26 and 28, it says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples. And so we see this same kind of ceremony of Jesus taking bread, giving thanks, breaking it, and giving it to his disciples. And in the case of the Lord's Supper, then he says, take and eat this, this is my body. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, offered it to them, and said, drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I don't believe this is an accident that we see this same ceremony of thanks, of, of receiving the bread, giving thanks, breaking it, handing it to his disciples in both the Lord's Supper and in the feeding of the 5,000. Because you have to remember, the Gospels were written after all these events took place. 
And so the gospel writers are trying to make a very deliberate connection here. And the connection is that of being a person as a disciple of Jesus Christ who not only receives from Christ life and hope and abundance, but also gives to others life and hope and abundance. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, handed it to the disciples, and then they handed it to the people. In the Lord's Supper, we see he takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks it, hands it to the disciples, and then they, have, they take it to themselves and have life. So we have with Elisha 100 people being fed with 20 loaves. In the earthly ministry of Jesus, we have 5,000 men, not including the men and the women, the women and the children, being fed with five loaves. And in the Lord's Supper, all that received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all the millions throughout history, maybe billions throughout history, have all received life in abundance from one, and that's Jesus Christ. And this is really the beautiful and somewhat paradoxical mystery of God. God very often takes what we give him, be it our life, be it our dreams, be it our hopes, and very often we find that he breaks those dreams, those hopes. He takes those things which we were putting our faith in, which are temporary or which are pointless which don't have real deep meaning to us, even though we think they should have meaning. And he breaks them. And then he gives us back our lives. But the paradox in, is that in our brokenness that is received back into our hands, we find our wholeness. We find our lives being redefined by Jesus. We find our hopes being renewed by Jesus. This is why they talk about the idea of being born again. We die to self. We're broken so that we can be given, so that those lives can be given back to us by God and something made of it that is eternal. That's why the scripture talks about in Romans chapter 12. It says that, you know, uh, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God, that we can be set aside so that God can become more in us. And by God becoming more in us, we live a life that is abundant. And this is part of the paradox of faith. The more that we give up of ourselves, the greater is the abundance of God in our lives. The greater his presence, the greater his hope, the greater his healing. And so today as we, we take communion, and we're going to do it now uh, after, you know, in just a few minutes, as we take it, I want you to take it and I want you to be thinking about the places where God has been abundant in your life. Where have you been in a place of dire need and God was abundant to you. And to, and to take communion with a sense of thanksgiving. But to also take it with this sense of what Jesus does with his disciples when he fed the 5,000. He took it, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and then they in turn gave it to the 5,000. And for you to realize that we are all in that place of being the disciples. We are in that place of receiving the grace of God very often through the brokenness of our own lives. So that with that brokenness, we can be healed and changed into a different type of person who can then extend grace and hope to a world that is trying very, very hard to find meaning, to find fulfillment, to find significance, all within themselves or within the riches they can accumulate or the titles that they can aspire to. And that you as a broken person, remade in Christ, reborn in Christ, can extend to him a hope which is an eternal hope 
which allows them to store up for themselves treasure in heaven, that treasure being eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you have, does everybody have uh, their stuff to take communion? If you don't have it, you can raise your hand and... All right. So what we'll do, we'll take it, we'll talk about it a little bit, I'll say a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll take it together, okay? So reading out of Matthew again, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Let's pray, and then we'll take it together. Lord God, we thank you for the fact that our lives, which very often we feel like are our responsibility to shape or our privilege to shape as we want them to be, as followers of you, our lives are yours. And just as you gave your life for us, we are to give our life to you. And it can be painful sometimes, Lord, as you break us in areas of pride or of dreams or of hopes. But then you also renew us. You heal us, giving us a sense of what you want for our lives, the thing that you, the place that you guide us. And so, Father, as we, as we take this bread, may we do it with two hearts. One, a thankful heart, a reborn heart in Christ, a communion with you and with each other. But also may we do it with a desire and a willingness to extend into the lives of others around us the hope that we have. Just as you fed the 5,000, you broke the bread, you gave it to the disciples, and then they gave it to those around them, and still there was abundance left over. May we have that willingness of heart to be open-handed with those around us when it comes to the place of sharing the gospel of Christ. We thank you for you. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the cross and the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Take and eat of it, and as you do so, remember me. We'll do the same with the cup, talk about it a bit, pray, then we'll take it. So the scripture says in Matthew 26, he took the cup, gave thanks, offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which has been poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Father God, again, we thank you for the symbol of blood found throughout the Old Testament, that through the blood there is forgiveness of sin. And that while in the Old Testament, sacrifice had to be made over and over and over again, because we're sinful creatures. The scripture tells us that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was done once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And so in this one sacrifice, all humanity can be healed if they just turn their eyes to you. And Father, we thank you that you have allowed us to be in that place of knowing you and knowing the healing of your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, this is my blood which has been poured out for you. Take and drink of it and do so in remembrance of me.
Let's read through the uh, Our Father prayer. If you want to do this in your mother tongue, you're welcome to do so. It's up here in English uh, for those who want to read it with us in this way. Let's stand together and, uh, and do this prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Go ahead and be seated. So may we never forget that we serve a God who is abundant. And in his abundance, he gave us his life. And in his life, we have freedom, we have hope. May we accept that abundance and live it. Don't just philosophize about it, but live it until that final day when all that remains and all that is ever needed is love, the love of God, our love for him, our love for each other in him. Amen? Lord God, thanks for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the, this, the different symbols you give us throughout uh, history, through the, in your word. We thank you for the connections of the stories in the Old and New Testament. Just to remind us, how you were the fulfillment and you continue to be the fulfillment of all that uh, you have said and all that you have done. And Lord, we pray that as we leave this place today, that you will help us to be as your disciples, open-handed with the hope that you have given us. And Lord, there are some that are, are going through difficult times now. With the idea of being broken is, is a painful thing. Some are going through deep loss in their lives right now. But Lord, as we come out of this the time, this difficult pandemic time, and as we come out of the difficult personal places that each of us sometimes are in, God, may we do so with our eyes open and our head up, knowing that you are an abundant God, and that when you bring us into that land, out of the slavery of, or the bondage of our sin or our hopelessness or our brokenness, that we come into a place of healing and hope, a land that flows with milk and honey, the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. We pray this all and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.